We are tackling part three of our series on the Good Shepherd. Um, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go and watch or listen to the message that Tyrone preached on part two. Tyrone was bunking the first service, he's here for the second service, so you can con- congratulate him or encourage him uh, if you found that helpful. I actually went through it twice. I thought that there were, it was really, really good, very clear, and just some great, some great illustrations. In fact, I sent <coughs> the video, those of, you, those of you that were here, if you saw the video of the sheep, that, kept ju- that just jumped back into the ditch that, that the person had dragged the sheep out of, I sent that to a lot of pastors. I was like, now you know why your job is so frustrating. Now you understand. You, you put effort in and you try, and, and, and also, of course, it reminds us that that's what God does with us. So God, like, God delivers us, and we're like, Woo, right back into, into the muddy ditch. All right, as we tackle part three, we're looking at the third verse of An incredibly famous psalm, Psalm 23, where it's all about the Lord being our shepherd. The first part says that that we have all that we need. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And just this idea that we can actually trust God. We can actually believe Him as being a good shepherd, that that if, if if we're following Him, that we can be secure, we can be content. Last week, Tyrone looked at verse 2, where he especially talks about how God gives us rest and leads us beside peaceful streams. Of course, the question is, will we follow? What I want to take a look at today is verse 3, where it talks about how he actually not only gives us rest, as it says in verse 2, and I do believe that these are different. This is my personal opinion, my personal conviction that there's actually quite a significant difference between rest and renewal. He doesn't only give us rest, so rest is where we cease to work, all paid and unpaid, where we, where we stop worrying, working, wanting, where we can actually uh, even rest from the work beneath the work, where we can rest, but then also he actually wants to renew us. So, so, to, so to rest is to pull back, to stop, but to be renewed is often an active thing. Often it is activity, whether it is meditating on scripture, whether it is coming to church, whether it is uh, engaging in good conversation with someone that where it's like iron sharpening iron, or maybe, it is, not maybe, definitely exercise is a renewing, replenishing, restorative uh, exercise that, that actually tops us up on many levels, physically, but often even emotionally, etc. But how many of you know that you actually need energy to do what's good for you? Very often, we're so empty, so smashed, so tired, that we don't actually have the energy to do what's going to be replenishing, what's going to be renewing. Um, for example, if you know that going for a run, Ezekiel, my brother, who I just need to lay hands on me and give me, that, give me that gift and ability to run as far as he does and as long as he does, whether it is Pilates, which I still don't understand, um, whether it is some home workout, whether it is going for a cycle, going for a walk, going for a run, going for a hike, um, CrossFit, which I still don't understand either. Like, it would make me cross. So, but, but whatever it is, whatever it is, it actually does require energy. And I think that our biggest challenge is that too often we're too tired to actually do what's good for us. So we do what has to get done, so school, work, if you're, if you're living with other people, there are certain chores, otherwise you won't be living with them for long. If someone isn't doing the dishes, if someone isn't throwing out the rubbish, etc. Um, like so, so, some of these things have to get done, but, but very often, in my opinion, 
the things that we most desperately need to do, those things that are actually going to renew us, replenish us, refresh us, are often the first things to go. And I'm just telling you, I don't think it's an accident. I think that we have an enemy who's very smart. I don't think that he just wants to make you bad or dirty or perverted. I think he wants to keep you separate from God's love and separate from God's purposes. And God's way does actually lead to life. It's just that it feels weird sometimes for us that it can actually require effort to lead to life. And we must understand grace. Dallas Willow said that grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. It does take effort. It takes effort to, to get up early enough to, to have unrushed time with God before we get into our day. Or, or it might take effort and discipline to, to switch off, whether it's conversations, work, media, whatever, to actually get to bed at a decent time so that we can actually have a healthy, engaging day the following day. Um, for many of us, it would take effort to actually experiment with the idea of Sabbath and where, we, where, where, where it actually takes effort to, to get stuff done during the week so that there is actually a 24-hour block that we don't have to do that stuff. It takes effort, but, but it, is, it is effort that results in renewal, in restoration. And so we need rest in order to be able to do the things that actually renew. So here's my question to you. You don't have to answer or put your hand up. You can just give me that knowing look. Ever feel too worn out to hear God's whisper? Ever feel too worn out to hear God's whisper? You know, I mean, I mean there's a part of you that believes or knows or maybe you've even experienced the fact that he is a good God, that he is worth listening out for, like there is a part of you that really does believe that his way is best. You know that he wants to speak, like he doesn't have a speaking problem as much as what we have a hearing problem. But we're just so worn out that it's almost impossible to hear his whisper. I think this is an enormous challenge. And I think it is only being compounded by the age that we live in, 2022, it is not easy to not be worn out. It is not easy for our minds to be overstimulated, for our bodies to be overcaffeinated or oversugarized or whatever. It's, it is hard for our emotions to not be stretched to capacity and beyond. And so, it's not, a, it's not a desire issue, it's not a heart issue. We can just sometimes be in danger of feeling too worn out, being too worn out, to actually hear the whisper of God. And before I even get into the story today, I, I do want to encourage you right off the bat, you're in good company. You're not alone. Some of the great heroes of the Bible went through exactly that. And I want to look in a moment at the story of what I think is one of the most powerful examples of that exact thing, but in case you're gonna nod off in the next two to three minutes, and the screensaver comes on, and all, okay, this is the big idea for today. If you miss everything else, I'll say, but if you can understand and appreciate and respond to this in your life, I think it will make an enormous difference to you, and this is all in response to our good shepherd. I honestly believe that we will know that we are rested and renewed enough when we are able to recognize and respond to the right path. We will be rested 
Andrew knew it enough. When we are, or when we can, not only recognize, so, so we're actually able to recognize God's voice, God's prompts, God's desire, but we also have enough capacity to actually respond to it. Because again, some of us know that we can, we can even recognize, like we might know what the right thing is to do, but it is like, we don't have the capacity, the energy, the willpower, we've got nothing, we've got dregs in the tank, we've got nothing left to actually respond to the right part. Yet verse three of Psalm 23 tells us that he renews our strength and he, he actually wants to guide us along the right paths for his name's sake. Yeah. So it's not a self-centered thing, it's, a, it's actually to bring him glory. Yeah. And, and there is something life-giving in that. So if you wanna know, well, how do I know if I'm resting enough? Well, how do I know if I'm being renewed? Well, chances are there'll be a fairly consistent ability to recognize and respond to God's will for us to recognize his prompts, that little <clears throat> of the Holy Spirit, or, or, or we are reminded of scripture, because guys, there's so many things we don't have to pray about, like it's just there. There are some things that we don't need the archangel Gabriel to come down and echo through a shofar. Like it's just there. The reason I'm emphasizing that is because I think that that's part of what can really drain us. And he says that obedience to the known will of God paves the way to the unknown will of God. So yes, there are times where we need to hear God on, on, on an application or on, an, on a decision that is not clear and explicit in Scripture, but if we're not obeying what is explicit, well, I think we're gonna have a hearing problem. So we are rested. This is how you know that you are rested and renewed sufficiently when we can recognize and respond to the right path. All right. Psalm 23, quickly. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. In verse three, he renews my strength, he guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Now, I wanna go back to a story that Tyrone mentioned briefly last week, but it's one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most powerful stories that is worth reading, rereading, and reflecting on slowly. Three chapters in particular, 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19. It's better than Netflix, it's better than any other story. I'm telling you, it is an interesting story. I may come back to chapter 19 in a moment, but chapter 18 effectively tells us a story about Elijah, who, by the way, was arguably one of the most highly respected figures of the Old Testament. It's, it's hard to compare. There is no modern-day comparison to tell you that this is how big a deal he was. Like He was considered to be a mighty man of God, which before that became a weird thing. Like, like, like He was used by God. He... He trusted God, he heard God, he obeyed God to the point that he was willing to be man alone in speaking on God's behalf. When God said there's gonna be a drought, he was willing to say, hey, there's gonna be a drought until God says otherwise. When, when God says, go and call the evil king Ahab and the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, so, so basically, he got 850 devil worshippers together on the mountain because of God's... Listen, this is pretty hectic, yeah. right? Like that takes some chutzpah. That takes some courage. That takes some, some, some confidence in God to, 
to actually have a showdown on the mountain. It's the 850 prophets of the devil, basically. And then, and then they called the rest of Israel. And Elijah had seen other miracles up until this point. But there is this incredible story of this showdown between God and these evil prophets where he, he basically the showdown is, okay, you've got an altar with an animal there. We've, I've got an altar with an animal. Whoever can call down fire from heaven, their God's the true God. So the prophets of Baal in particular start wailing, yelling, screaming, calling, chanting. After a few hours of no response, they start cutting themselves. The New Living Translation says, until their blood gushed. It was like a Mel Gibson movie, okay? It's like, it's like stuff is squirting all over the place, all right? Then Elijah. Elijah, he's not shy. He's like, shout louder. Maybe he's, um, maybe he's still asleep. He says, maybe he's relieving himself. In other words, maybe he's on the toilet. Your God, your little G God. Like, like that's pretty provocative, right? It's Elijah? 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. He's not shy. They do all this stuff. I don't know what they said to him when he, when he joked or when he mocked that he could be on, on the toilet, but the, nothing happened. Not, not, not a little flame, no smoke, nothing. Then Elijah's like, okay, fine, my turn. Now remember, Israel's also gathered and surrounded. It says that he got them to wet the altar repeatedly, to wet the sacrifice, to wet, I mean, until, until there was a, like a little pool of water gathered all around the altar. And then he just prays a gentle, humble prayer. It wasn't outlandish, dramatic, extravagant, charismatic, just, okay, God, will you show them who you are? And it says that the fire came from heaven and consumed not only the sacrifice, it didn't only lick up the water, it consumed every stone, every rock that had helped make up the altar. Like it was a big deal. Okay, Israel's like, the Lord our God is God. Okay, he's the one. And they all, bow, and, and they all worship, they all acknowledge him. So, so Elijah uh, ushers in this revival in Israel at the time. He has the prophets killed. Don't know how that all worked out, but I think that was pretty messy too. And then God told him to ask for the rain to come because there's been three years of drought. He does so. He tells Ahab, the, this evil king, I don't know why he was kind to him. He's like, you better go and eat and drink because the water's coming, like the rain's coming. And so he gets into his chariot. He rushes down the mountain. And then God gives Elijah the supernatural ability to run faster than Ahab to make it all the way down the mountain. So Elijah's experienced all these dramatic things. Massive wins, okay? He would have broken the internet. Like, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Then, and I'm not even telling you the whole story, right? I'm just giving you the highlight reel from chapter 18. Chapter 17 is also pretty interesting. But then we get to what is now documented as chapter 19, verse 1. When Ahab, that's the evil king, got home and told Jezebel, that's the evil queen, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal, Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods, small g God, strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Now, I want to point out the obvious. She's calling on the same small g gods that weren't able to perform. He wasn't, or they weren't able to protect her prophets. So for Elijah, you would think that he would chuckle. 
Hashtag, you're out of your mind. You know, like, 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 like you would think that he's like, okay, whatever, lady. Crazy lady, go, go get some rest. That's not what happens. Please don't miss this. I'm wanting this to encourage you in case you've ever had incredible seasons of winning at life, in your faith, in everything else, and then, and then out of nowhere you feel like you get whiplash from this, this sense of fear and dread and what if and what about. Verse three, Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. If you just read this objectively, this doesn't make sense, right? Because this isn't rational. When we are depleted, it's not, this isn't just a rational issue. This is an emotional issue. This is a spiritual issue. This is a soulish issue. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. Just so you know, not a good idea when you're feeling this discouraged, this, this tired. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Quite literally, Elijah's like, I'm done. Suicidal. He's like, God, okay, take me, take me now. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. That is a significant turnaround from just almost like moments earlier. He has this incredible victory. And I remember the first time that I would have really chewed on the story many years ago. I remember thinking at the time, because I'm ignorant, like, wow, what's up with Elijah? And especially after, after, after the biggest victories, until I came to realize how even the victories can take a lot out of you. When you're persevering, even if you see God come through for you, but there's, but there's a faith, there's a hanging on, there's a holding on, and, and, and whether we realize it or not, if we are not being renewed, so if we're just resting, okay, I switch off, I block off, I, okay, but, but, I'm, but, but I'm not resting, I mean, I'm not re renewing. If I'm, if I'm resting with, okay, I'm not gonna work, everything's closed, but, but I'm scrolling, I'm watching, I'm, I'm, I'm stimulating my mind. So I'm resting from work, but I'm not renewing. I'm not replenishing. I'm not strengthening my emotions, my, my thought life, my spirit. We find ourselves empty, weak, vulnerable. And it's not a knowledge thing a lot of the time. Sometimes it is, sure. But in Elijah's case, this wasn't a knowledge issue. This was a fatigue issue. And by the way, you don't get drained like this in a day or two. This takes place in some cases, I mean, definitely over weeks and months, in many cases even over years. And then we want it to be resolved in a day. Okay, God, I'm gonna try and get a good night's sleep tonight. I wanna wake up feeling amazing tomorrow. Or we want medication to sort it out like in a week or two. Now, sleep is gonna help. In some cases, medication is gonna help. But, but if we've neglected limits, if we have neglected replenishing and being renewed, not just resting, but actually being renewed for years, and your adrenal glands are exhausted, and your, and your serotonin levels are low, and, and just mentally, emotionally, in every way, you're just exhausted, you're not going to replenish that in a moment. Even having a great encounter with God, it's gonna give you hope, it might give you vision. It's not going to replenish all of that though. We don't only need rest, we need to be renewed. And this is not a luxury, this is not sentimental. I am convinced 
that this is probably the single greatest thing, stopping Christians from actually being the people that God's called us to be. From being, from being the kind of person at work or at school or at home that is a person of love and joy and peace. From being the kind of person that is secure enough, has, a, has, a, has an established enough identity that we can respond to the right pressures, say no to the right things, say yes to the right things. Where we can give ourselves to things that take something from us because we're not giving ourselves to everything. We are able to discern God and so we live in a rhythm of grace. We live in a rhythm of rest and renewal. So, this isn't a, an official or a formal title. It's just the best that I can come up for right now. I wanna talk, I wanna look quickly in the last moments we have together at what I'm calling the cycle of flourishing because I honestly do believe that it is a cycle. It is not just a one silver bullet or a shortcut or a magical prayer. We are people, holistic beings that are called to live according to a certain rhythm and a certain cycle. The first part is simply rest. This is what we looked at last week. Where whether we realize it or not, we are sometimes too tired to have the correct perspective. You will feel as though God has changed. You can feel as though God is mad at you. You can feel as though, as though maybe God isn't who you thought he was and you can start to question even real miracles. Elijah saw God's hand work, but he felt all alone. He had in, in, in the early parts of chapter 18 met with, met with Obadiah who said, hey, I've, I've, like, I've been keeping a hundred prophets alive in two caves, um, pr- protecting them from Jezebel, yet Elijah felt completely alone. He had lost all perspective. When we are tired, not only are we not our best versions of ourselves, we can be completely distorted versions of ourselves. We can be completely deformed versions of ourselves. We lose perspective. 1 Kings 19 verse 8 to 10 goes on where he says, uh, says, so he got up and ate and drank. This, This is after an angel comes to him. Chapter 17, he's being fed by birds. And not just like grain or grass that he can do something with. It's, no, no. It says that, he, that the, the birds fed him meat and bread every morning and every evening. Here you've got an angel who's waking him up like, Elijah, psst. What, Gabriel? <laughs> Get up. Eat. Okay? Again, Tyrone spoke about this last week. Until he had enough Food until he had had enough rest that he, could, that he actually had the strength to walk for 40 days. Then, I don't want you to miss this part. Verse 9 says, so Now, this is after, after 40 days, Mount Sinai. There he came to a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is a more important question than what I think we realize at face value. And we're going to come back to this in a moment when we take part in communion. Because just so you know, when God asks a question, it's not for his information. He's not information deficient. He's not, he's not taking a poll. He's not needing data. When God asks a question, it's for our sake. Maybe put another way, it's like, what are you really looking for? And again, if, we, if, if the enemy can keep us busy and tired, we don't have the capacity to slow down enough or the capacity to even dare to ask ourselves that kind of question. It's easier just to distract ourselves. 
what are you really looking for? What is the need beneath the need? What is the issue beneath the issue? Because I'm telling you, when we come to God in that kind of honesty, when we step into reality, God meets us there. What are you doing here, Elijah? I love it. What a personal question. Asked by a personal, loving God. Verse 10, Elijah replies, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down the altars, killed every one of your prophets. That's a lie, because Obadiah just told him, I've kept 100 alive. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Again, I think Elijah is answering the surface level of the question. But all I'm trying to point out in this particular part, why we need rest, is because without rest, we lose all perspective. How, how does God even deal with us when we can't deal with reality? When we're too tired to deal with reality? Then God goes on again in verse 18 to say, I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed their knee to Baal or kissed him. Okay, wait, wait. So it's not just, I'm not alone. There are 100 other prophets. And wait, there's 7,000 other people that haven't bowed the knee? We lose perspective. When we feel sorry for ourselves, I mean, I, I can't remember exactly how this was said, but I remember hearing once that when we throw a pity party, the only people that we're entertaining are the demons. Like, you're not entertaining heaven when you throw a pity party. The people that are partying and celebrating are like, yeah, from the other place. That was for free. Okay. So number one, we need to rest. Number two, we do need to renew. I, I'm desperately wanting us to separate these two issues. The cycle of flourishing, we do need rest. It's, don't just jump straight to renewal. But if we stop at rest, we, we become anemic. We don't have the strength and the energy to do what actually needs to be done. And it does take time, and you do have to be patient. And again, that's why we go back to verse 1 of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Can I trust God with his timing? Can I trust God that even if this isn't a quick fix, that if I don't replenish what's taken years to deplete in a day, that it's okay, that I can trust God one day at a time? Probably the most powerful, effective, life-changing revelation for me that came out of the story years ago was when I clicked. You know when you've read a story many times and then one day you're reading it and it's like, oh, yeah, oh, wait, what? God gets Elijah to walk for 40 days. I mean, you can unpack that, okay, it's physical. I imagine he would have slept a bit. I don't know if there was some food and drink along the way, um, or if you really were supernaturally kept from the beginning, which is possible. I don't have a problem with that. But what I can tell you is that over 40 days, Elijah wasn't spending his downtime, his in-between time, listening to podcasts and audiobooks, scrolling on Instagram or TikTok, or for people over 50, Facebook. Like he, like he, think about, think, I'm joking. Think about this, think about this. I just have to make it a bit older than what I am. Think about this, okay? Think about the level of solitude that he experienced for 40 days. 
Think about how much space he got to experience. Where he wasn't giving out, he wasn't ministering, serving, helping, leading, giving. For 40 days, he was replenished. I am convinced, personally, I am convinced that Elijah wasn't ready to hear God before the 40-day journey. And that should give us an enormous amount of hope. I think way too often we are so discouraged when I've prayed the prayer and God hasn't answered within 24 hours. Or I've prayed the prayer, okay, 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 not 24 hours, but a week. Or a month. Now, I can't put a time limit to it, but I'm just telling you that God never has a speaking problem. I, maybe not you, but I, have a hearing problem. And when I am living in too much noise, so there's white noise and there's white space. White space is when you have space to breathe and think. Your mind is not being constantly bombarded and stimulated. Elijah, after 40 days, was ready to hear the whisper of God. And I can't help thinking that for many of us, if not most or all of us, that if we took 40 days, don't worry, this isn't your homework, I'm not even suggesting this to anybody. But I'd be lying and I'd be, I think, committing pastoral malpractice if I didn't at least tell you that, it, that I am convinced that if somebody who is in a real space of need, that that if you were to take 40 days, and again, you don't, don't have to hear from God for this, I'm just saying that if someone were to take 40 days and cut out all unnecessary stimulation, all unnecessary distraction, and where you patiently just take one step at a time, I think 40 days from now, which, yes guys, time flies. I think 40 days from now, you'd be starting 2023 in a radically different place. I'm not saying that that's what you have to do. I, I, I want to be realistic. But I am convinced that there are things that we can do that don't only offer rest, but renewal. I'm not going to unpack this in detail, but, but I think that we need to renew physically. We need to renew emotionally. We need to renew spiritually. We need to renew mentally. We need to renew relationally. We're not just one-dimensional people. I felt so strongly after the first service to even just remind and encourage people that actually God loves fun, joy, laughter. That, that actually, I think in so many cases, I think there's something deeply spiritual about having life-giving fun together, about laughing together, about, about positioning ourselves to actually have joy. I'm not talking about superficial uh, counterfeit joy. I just mean like where you're actually organizing your life. So again, where we're not just surviving. So today, for example, if you don't have to go and do work paid or unpaid, where you actually just allow yourself to accept the gift, and it is a gift, it's gracious, a gift of rest, and to go and enjoy a sandwich on the beach if that's all you can afford. Or to, or to, or to do something with your family or friends that's gonna be fun especially if you beat them at a game, for example, like that's fun. Maybe not for them, but for you. I, I'm, I'm wanting to balance things out because again, I think, I think that so, and if your personality is like mine, this is easy for you to, 
to respond to where, you, where, where we can feel like it's all just heavy, intense, hectic stuff. I think that the more heavy, hectic, intense stuff we're carrying, the tighter we become. And there's no space to breathe. There is, a pro, there is appropriate laughter. There is appropriate fun. There is appropriate joy. In fact, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Some of us are so weak because it's been so long since we've actually had joy or enjoyed something with the right people doing the right thing. Instead, we settle for a quick, cheap distraction or escape or stimulation, and then we've, we're left more empty than what we were before. So we need to not only rest, we need to renew. And then we do need to recognize God's leading, God's instruction. God was able to instruct Elijah on incredibly important next steps. He had to go and appoint a couple of kings. He had to go and replace himself by anointing Elisha to take over from him. But don't miss the fact that he was now, 40 days later, after, I think, having had rest and renewal, he was now able to distinguish. He was able to recognize the voice of God. Verse 11 of chapter 19 says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. This is now Elijah's on the mountain. God's like, get ready to hear from me. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. I don't know about you. If there hasn't been wind and suddenly there's wind, and it's tearing the rocks apart, I'm like, this must be God. But Elijah, after 40 days, was able to discern that the Lord wasn't there, or not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. So often, there are things in our lives that are shaking around. We think, this must be God. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, I don't think he would have heard the gentle whisper 40 days earlier. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said to him, again, for the second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? Man, I wish I could impart to you sufficiently how burdened I am that you be encouraged to persevere, to be patient. What I'm talking about is not, is not just a quick revelation. That, that happens. I'm grateful for those. But for the most part, everybody, it is living, it is patiently living. I love how Tyrone spoke about the level of rest and the level of stress last week. Uh, sorry, not, not level, rhythm. Rhythms of rest, rhythms of stress. And we need to get off the rhythm of stress train and get onto a rhythm, the healthy rhythm, the cycle of flourishing, where we engage and we work and we give up, but we also rest and we renew so that we can recognize. Again, I just want to emphasize that I, I, think, I don't think the enemy has to be terribly clever. I don't think he has to tempt us with terribly sick, evil, wicked things, although that does happen. I just think that for so many of us, it just has to keep us busy and distracted, skimming. And I'm talking from a very personal place. 
That's what I'm saying. This isn't a knowledge issue. This is a lifestyle issue. It is so easy to turn around six months later and realize, wow, how many times have we actually had really unrushed, meaningful, well, not, not meaningful, okay, because that's going to set the bar too high for some of us, just unrushed face-to-face -face meals with the family or the people you live with. Or when's the last time you had a face-to-face sit-down meal with a friend or a couple of friends? Because we can feel incredibly connected because of the devices in our pockets. We can feel incredibly stimulated, informed, outraged, moved, but, but we're just empty, actually. I want to encourage you to be patient, to persevere, to persevere, because the fourth and final part of the cycle is to respond. And if we miss any one of these parts, I just think we miss the whole thing. Like, you can't pick and choose. I need to rest, and it does start with rest, I need to be renewed physically, emotionally, spiritually. I need to be able to recognize God's whispers, and they are mostly whispers, but then I actually need to respond. There is something about responding, and it sounds so counterintuitive, like, but wait, I'm tired. What do you mean I must still do something? No, there is, whatever that is, there is something in the responding, even if it's God just saying, can you just get some more sleep, or can you just cut that out of your life, or cut spending that kind of time with that person out of your life or stop reading that or scrolling that or, or whatever or stop working 16 hours a day. It could be as simple as, it could actually be a thing of subtraction and pruning where, God's, where God is giving us wisdom and we just need to actually obey him. There is something so incredibly refreshing about responding to God. Brings a level of peace, a level of joy, a level of fulfillment, a level of, contentment. The worship team can come on up. We are rested and renewed enough when we are able to recognize and respond to the right path. We need to be patient. We need to trust God with the journey, trust Him with the timing. We need to be okay with, with not knowing when this is going to start to bear fruit, but let's not give up. I want to encourage you that faith really is a journey, and, and a journey is, I would argue, almost never linear. Like, it's never just from point A to point B, straight line, boom, it's easy. And if, and if the story of Elijah doesn't remind us of that, then I don't know. If you go back and read chapter 17, that's what I'm saying. Read chapter 17, 18, and 19. Chapter 17, we see another clear example of this. Where Elijah, he's been fed by the birds, he's already prophesied the, the drought, um, the drought's happening, God's bringing, you know, Uber Eats are bringing meat and bread every morning, every evening, he's got water on tap uh, in, in the spring until that dried up. Then when it dries up, God says to him, okay, go to the town of Zarephath, you're gonna go and find a widow there, don't miss this, I have told her to make you a meal. He says to Elijah, go, look out for this widow. I have told her to make you a meal. So he goes to this town. He finds the lady. He asks her for some bread. She's like, uh-uh, I don't have bread. Wait, wait, wait. Back up. God told Elijah that he had told her 
to make him the meal or to give him the bread. She's like, and she wasn't wrong because she didn't have bread. She only had the last bit of oil and, and flour to make the last meal for her and her son. And then her words were, and then we're going to die. Like it's a pretty hectic situation. Now again, because Elijah, he knows God and if God has spoken, for the most part, he's trusting and he said to no, no, go ahead, make some bread. For me, uh, I mean, it looks a bit cheeky. He's like, for me first and then for you guys. But then he says to her, and, and your oil will not run out and the flour will not run out until the rains have come again, which is going to be a few years, until the rains have come again and, and the crops have produced enough. So to her credit, she takes the risk. She does it. She gives it to him. And then the Bible makes it clear that the oil never ran out and the flour never ran out. I don't know about you. I think that's pretty cool. Okay? I mean, I don't even know what that looks like, but it just keeps being replenished. It, keeps being, it just keeps, it doesn't run out. I think she would have been like, like, this is pretty cool. I actually did obey God. I, can't, I wasn't going to at first, but then I did. And check it out. I wonder if she was like calling her neighbors over and like hashtag provision. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I, I want you to pick up on the journey. Then her son gets sick. And then he gets very sick. And then he dies. And she experiences a whiplash of emotion and a crisis of faith. Where she gets angry with Elijah. And she's like, why did you come here just to point out my sin? Because obviously she's feeling like this is connected to, her sin's connected to her son dying. She's just seen God providing miraculously over and over again. But then it just takes one significant loss confusion, mystery, challenge, something that, that you can't explain, which she equates and assumes has to do with her sin, and she's upset. Elijah tells her to kind of like stand back. She pick, he picks the boy up, takes him upstairs to the room where he's staying. And even Elijah sounds a little bit upset with God. Like, God, why'd you allow this to happen to this woman? Why'd you allow this to happen to the son? But then he, but then he lies. He puts his body over the, the son three times. Now, if you me, I'm like, why? Like, God, you could do it on the first time. Because I want a formula. Like, just pray, pray the right prayer, get the exact result I want on the timing I want. Imagine, you pray, for, you pray the first time, nothing. Pray the second time, nothing. Pray the third time, and the chest starts to rise. Life comes back into this boy's body. He carries him down to his mother. Faith is a journey. I don't want you to be discouraged. The enemy wants you to be discouraged. I don't want you to be discouraged when you're having a crisis of faith. When you're having to persevere, when you're having to hang in there, when you're having to, to hold on to mystery and hold on to what you think you've known and experienced in the past. All you can do, and we'll talk more about this next week. Because next week is all about yay, which is a very strange word. Old English word. When I go, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. When you're going through hell, don't stop. When you're going through a valley, don't stop. When you're going through a crisis of faith, don't stop. You keep chipping away at the principles of God. I'm going to get healthy rest. I'm going to position myself to be 
renewed in a healthy way. God, help me to recognize your voice and help me not to give up until I do. Because again, Elijah's walking for 40 days and he hadn't heard anything. It's okay for things to be quiet. It's okay for God not to be answering. But then when he does whisper, when he does speak, when there is an idea of what to do next, let's respond. So what we're gonna do for the next few moments before we close is give you some space to reflect, to pray, and all prayer is is talking to God or being with God, listening to God. And what I want you to do in particular is to reflect on this question. What if God were saying to you, were asking you, hey, what are you doing here? Or put another way, what are you really looking for? What is the ache of your soul? What is the need beneath the need, the desire beneath the desire? And allow yourself for a few moments to come into reality with God. Remember, when we get honest with God, He's not the one that's shocked. When we have feelings, allow them to be stepping stones, not stumbling blocks. So I want you to reach under your chair very quickly and please just wave at us if you don't have a little container there, but there should be a container that's got a wafer on the very top layer. There's a very thin sleeve of plastic that you can lift off when the time's right. And then if you bend the edge a bit more, you can lift it again, a second part, which allows you to get into the juice. And the reason why we're doing this here and now as part of this time of reflection is that ultimately communion reminds us of what Jesus did for us at the cross. It reminds us that he has paid the price for our sins. It shows us, it reminds us how much he loves us, that he is trustworthy. It reminds us that he hasn't just saved us from something, but he has saved us into something. And so all I'm asking you to do is to take a few moments to reflect on anything that might be blocking you walking into freedom, walking into a future, walking into what God has for you. What are you doing here? What are you really looking for?